0: Hey guys, welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. I'm Judah Thomas, the lead pastor. And we thank you for joining us today as we discover what God's word has to say to us. If you enjoy the podcast, we would encourage you to leave a rating, review, share it with your friends or family, and we hope you enjoy today's message. I wonder if you've ever bargained with God. You ever ever bargained with God? You know what I'm talking about. It's time to fess up. You know, have you ever bargained with God where we're saying, like, yeah. you know what, God, if you do this, then I promise I'm going to do this. You know, if you can write this in your notes. You know, these are some of the ways that we bargain with God. There's two main ways that we bargain with God. The first is, God, if you will help me on this test. God, if you will help me to get this job. God, if you will get me out of the situation, I will always fill in the blank, right? go to church. I will always love you. I will always, you know, be nice to to my parents. I will always, you know, read my Bible and pray. And and so we bargain with God sometimes that way, and sometimes it's the opposite. It's it's God, if you will, I promise, I will never, right? Maybe you've done that one before. I promise I will never do that thing again. I promise if you get me out of this situation, I will never look at some uh, you know, that I shouldn't look at before. I will never do that again. I will never, you know, go into these relationships anymore. I promise I won't do this. You know, it's funny because even atheists, even people who say they don't believe in God, they bargain with God too. You know, things get bad enough and you're like, you know what, man? <laughs> God, I, to whom it may concern, you know? If you help me out of this situation, then, then I'm going to turn my life around. Okay, so so here's time to be honest. If you've ever negotiated with God, raise your hand. Okay, most of you guys, the, the other ones, you're like, man, if he doesn't make me raise my hand, God, I'll, I'm never coming back here again or something. I don't know. Um, I think if we're honest, we all do that. We, we, we negotiate with God, we're like, like, uh, God, I, I promise that I'll, I'll do this thing or, or I promise I won't do that thing. If only you get me out of this situation. Man, I did something really bad, God. You know it. And I'm about to get caught. If you make me not get caught, man, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn my life around. You know what the problem is with this? You know what the problem is? Now, let's just be real for a moment. Here's the problem. We don't keep our end of the deal, do we? We don't keep our end of the deal. We're like, God, if you do this, I promise I will do this. Or I promise I'll never do that again. And then we don't keep our end of the deal. See, because when it works out in our favor, we don't, write this down, follow through. We don't follow through with what we said. We're just like, oh, you know what? I was just lucky. I was just luckier. Or, you know what? God, you know, I, I had this test and I prayed. I said, God, if you help me get through this test, I promise I, I, will, I will get my life on track and I won't go out partying anymore. And then we passed this. Like, you know what? I guess I studied enough after all. I had what it took after. I didn't need God's help to get through that. You know? Like, God, if, if only, you know, mom or dad's asleep when I get home, you know? When I try to sneak in the house, then, then I promise. Oh, no. They're, oh, they were asleep anyhow, you know. Or oh, God, only if the pregnancy test is, is positive, then I will. Or or maybe in your case, it's only if the pregnancy test is negative, <laughs> then I will turn my life around. I will serve you. I will follow. You. I'll, I'll, what do you want? You tell me what you want. I'll give you money. You want money? I'll give you some money. You know, I'll give you something. And, and it's like this kid I read about. And he was, uh, he was playing on, on the roof of his parents' house. They had like a two-story house. And he's walking the center line of the roof. And as he's going, he slips and he falls and he begins to tumble down the roof. And he says, God, please help me. And, and as, just as it so happened, many, many, many years ago when the roofers were up there roofing, uh, uh, one of the roofers up there, for some reason, didn't fully hammer in one of the nails on the roof, and, and, and it was still there protruding, and it was old, but it was still there, and as the book rolling down, right before he rolls off the edge of this two-story house, the nail catches his shirt, and he hangs there, and he says to God, God, don't worry about it, a nail caught me instead, you know, <laughs> sometimes that's how we bargain with God, right, we're like, oh God, if you do this, oh never mind God, you don't have to help me after all, something else helped me instead. There's two assumptions that we make when we bargain with God. Here's two assumptions that we make. The first one is that there is a God and he cares about you. right? You're saying, if I'm going to bargain with God, I'm making an assumption that there is a real God and that he knows my name and that he knows my circumstance and that he gives a rip. I'm assuming he cares whether I get in trouble or not. I'm assuming he cares whether I pass this job, I mean, this this test or not. I'm assuming he cares whether I get this job or not. I'm assuming that he cares about my situation. The second assumption that we make is that you have something that God wants. Say, God, I got something that you want. Let, let's barter. We're going to barter here. I don't know if you've ever bartered with anybody before. I tried doing some bartering once. It was kind of frustrating. But um, I tried to do some bartering. And, and here's what I would run into oftentimes. They'd be like, hey, I want what you have. Here's what I have to trade. And they're like, sorry, you don't have anything I want. You know? And, and, but here's the assumption that we're making is that I got something that God want how about some obedience god would you like some of that or or how about some church attendance or or some money i know that's what you want at least that's what all the churches say is that you want money so i'll give you a few bucks if you help me in this situation if you help my loved one who's sick, if you help my, my child, if you help my parent, if you help me get this job, if you help me not get in trouble, if you help me not get arrested for what I did last night. Um, we, we, we bargain with God and we think that we have something that He wants. The interesting thing though is this is something that separates Uh, Christianity and being a follower of Jesus Christ from the rest of the religions in the world. This separates us. This is in contrast to what most people have heard about God, and it's in contrast to what most people believe about God. Because everybody, we come to this question of saying, well, what does God want from me? What does God want from me? And here's the truth, is you don't have anything that he needs or wants. You don't have anything that he wants from you. I mean, you're saying, "Well, God, I'll just give you some money." He's like, "Money? Come on!" It's like, oh, "I'll just obey you." Well, you should be doing that anyhow. You know, it's like, like I, we, we try to bargain with God, and he's like, "Sorry, but but there's nothing that you have that's worth trading." But but the New Testament comes along. This is the newer part of the the Bible. It's when Jesus comes on the scene. He comes. Here, and it's clear that God isn't interested in getting something from you. He wants something for you. God's not interested in what He can get from you. He's more interested in what He can do for you. What He can do for you. And there's one word that summarizes this whole concept, and it's the word grace. The word grace. There's a problem with that word grace, though. You know what the problem is? Uh, The the problem of it is, is that uh, for those of you that aren't aware, the Bible wasn't written in English. It was been translated in English, and it was written in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. And this particular part was written in Greek. And they translated it into this word grace, which is a fine enough word. But in the English language, the word grace has many, many meanings, doesn't it? I mean, if we see someone... Let's say like a ballerina, we'd say, oh, they're very graceful. Because the word grace could mean elegance or refined movement. Oh, they're very graceful. Look how graceful they walk. Look how graceful they dance. We watch figure skaters. We're like, wow, they look so graceful out there. And we hear about God's grace. And sometimes we start thinking that that's what it means. That Jesus was like a ballerina or something. And, and, and it has nothing to do with that. And, and the other thing that we sometimes think of when we think of grace, some of you maybe more than others, it is what you forgot to pay your bills, right? And sometimes... Businesses have have put a little buffer room in there that they call what a grace period, meaning that you can pay your bill a little bit late and it's okay. So we have this grace period. Another thing that grace could be used for, maybe not in our country so much, but it, but it's a. a a title for addressing a duke or a duchess. You know, we say, your grace, you know? Or, or another thing is that it's a short prayer that we might say of thanks before or after we eat our food. Like, could somebody say grace? And I never understood why we say that. like, can somebody say grace? I'm like, grace, sure, <laughs> you know? but But we call it that in our English. It means a short prayer of thanksgiving. And so, so we hear this word grace in the Bible and we misunderstand sometimes what it actually means. It's actually from the Greek word pronounced Horus. Horus, it's written there in your notes. It's not written that way, but it's pronounced Horus. And this word literally means undeserved favor. Undeserved favor. This is favor that you don't deserve. This is getting the good that you don't deserve. This is getting something that you don't deserve. Now may, maybe you've experienced this before, I don't know, but maybe you've experienced this some at some point in time where you got something good and you didn't deserve it. You're like, you know what, I don't deserve this one bit. Somebody did something nice for you and you're like, you know what, I just don't, don't deserve it. Somebody helped you. And they didn't need to help you. And you're like, wow, I, you know, you, you've just really helped me out a lot. Grace is getting something that, that you haven't earned, you haven't worked for, you, you don't deserve it. It's like, um, you know, back before we started Thrive Church, a friend of mine called me up and he says, hey, uh, are you home? And I'm like, yeah, I'm home. And he's like, well, I want to stop by. And whenever somebody says that, like, I don't know, what's, what's going on? Like, is this a crisis or what's going on? And so I said, sure, come on by. And he came over and uh, and and he he pulls out a, a guitar, a brand new guitar. He's like, here, I know you're leaving. I want to give you this just to thank you for all you've done and just take it and have a blast with it. And I'm like, whoa. Like, I wasn't expecting that. That was grace. That was something. I didn't do anything to deserve that. I didn't do anything to that that was unexpected favor i need a volunteer anyone brave enough to to, okay christian come up here sorry i only had like a couple people one of them is my wife and so um christian here's a hundred dollars okay now have you done anything to earn this no and you're not going to get it no (laughs) but i want to give this to you okay do you mind I don't mind you don't are you sure because if you have a problem with this then then i can find someone else I don't mind. okay so i'm going to give you this did you do anything for it? it's undeserved right okay thank you so i give him a hand now see me after and give me that back <laughs> no you can keep it that, that, that's an undeserved favor right that's something that's so undeserved now, if anybody, if you come here today and you feel like, you know, I'm hungry, I want to go out to eat, Christian's treating after service, so, uh, so make sure you go hang out with him after. Um, but that's undeserved. That's what this word grace means. When, when God shows us grace, see, see, it's when somebody does something for you, but you didn't deserve it. We see it from time to time in our world but this concept of grace is central to our belief in Christ this is central to christianity it drives everything we do as followers of Christ this word grace but if we misinterpret and we just think that it means how we walk and how we dress and how smoothly we you know can dance well then we've missed the point altogether it's unconditional we need to embrace grace you know, uh, uh, an acronym. My dad, write it down there in your notes. your notes. G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. God is saying here, I'm going to provide my riches to you. And you didn't do anything for it. Christ alone is the one that paid the price. It's at His expense that you're able to, uh, to reap the benefits of what I have to give you. I'm not looking for something from you. I'm looking to give you something. I'm looking to do something for you. Because God's grace, listen, is free and undeserved. It's free and undeserved. You can't pay for it. You can't do anything to earn it. God's grace is free and God's grace is free and God's grace is free and undeserved. And you can't take credit for getting it. And It's a problem. We bargain with God sometimes. We're like, God, if you do this, if you do this, if you save if you save, you know, my, my mother. And then we try to take credit for it and then we try to take credit for it. Or we try because when someone take credit for it. we try because when someone gives you a gift, the giver is the hero, not the when someone gives you a gift, the giver is the hero, not the person getting it. They're the one that should get the credit for it. It's all about the person who gives the grace, not about the person who receives that grace. If there's any cost that is incurred, it is not paid by you. It is paid by the giver. Like I said, someone gave me a guitar. And uh, it doesn't mean it was free. It cost him something. He had to pay for it. I didn't have to pay anything, though. But it doesn't mean it's worthless. And sometimes we look at God's grace like, well, it's just free. It's free. But free doesn't mean cheap. It's God's riches. But it's at Christ's expense it's free and undeserved and this is something that sets God apart this is something that sets Christianity apart from every other belief words together mercy and grace mercy and grace grace and mercy mercy and grace but there's a difference between the two see see mercy is we talked about a situation where we're in we talked about a situation where we're in scripture of believers. He accuses us and he says, you've done this bad. You did this bad. You sinned this way. You did this. And it's like if we imagine ourselves in a court and, and, and here's the, the complaint and he's saying, you did this, 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 and this. And we're saying, yeah, I know I did. And I know that, that the punishment, the penalty for all of those things is the death penalty. And then the judge, he slams his gavel down and says not guilty, saying you're not going to get the punishment that you deserve. That's mercy. And it, we, we talk a lot about this story, the prodigal son. It's a story that Jesus told. And, and there's just so much in this story. And that's why I like to talk about it. But the story of the prodigal son is about a father and he had a couple kids. And one of the kids says, Dad, you're not dying quick enough. Um, I want my inheritance and I want it now. I don't want to wait till you die. I want my money now. So the father, he somehow agrees to that. And he gives his son the portion of the inheritance. The son goes out. He blows all the money and partying. And after he blows all the money, he's like, now what? He gets a job as a pig farmer, but he's not even making enough money to eat. So he says, you know what? I'd be better off at least being a servant for my dad than out here being a pig farmer. So he decides to go home. And as he's going home, Scripture tells us that, that the father sees him and he runs out and, and, and he hugs him. See, see, mercy is saying to the son... Okay, you can come back and be my servant now. See, see mercy is saying, I forgive you for what you did. I forgive you that you blew all that money on partying. I forgive you, and I'm not going to punish you for what you did. But see, the father didn't stop there. See, grace steps it up another notch. See, see the father didn't stop with just forgiving him. He, instead of giving his son the cold shoulder, he gave him a hug and a kiss. And instead, of, instead of saying, I'm going to give you a punishment, he said, let's throw you a party. Instead of saying, oh, I can give you a job. Put that on your finger so that everybody that sees you knows that you are my son with all the rights and privileges that come along with that. See, grace steps it up a notch. It doesn't just stop with forgiving you and say, oh, you're not going to get the punishment. It's saying we're going to go to the whole another level with this. See, this is at the center of Christianity. Write this down. The Mercy pardons us, but grace makes us heirs. You know what I'm saying? Grace makes us heirs. It's like, it's like the, the, the judge back in that situation. We said, we have the complainant. He's accusing you, saying you did all these wrong things. And you're saying, I know I deserve the death penalty. And the judge rules and says, not guilty. And not only that, I'm going to adopt you. You're coming over for Christmas. And I bought you a new car. And I'm going to help you buy a house. And I'm going to help you get a job. And saying, wait a minute. I don't deserve any of this. That's grace that's grace. Grace is, is, is not just mercy. Mercy is, is, is extraordinary in and of itself. But God is saying, I'm not going to just stop with mercy. I'm going to take you to the next level and give you grace. So we're going to look in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, once you were dead, what does it mean dead? This means that once you we were separated from God, not literally dead, you were dead in the sense that you were separated, you were disconnected from God. You're separated from God because of your disobedience and your many sins. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins, then you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Man, we've all done bad things, right? We talked about this several weeks ago. Sometimes we like to call those bad things, we do mistakes, but mistakes don't, doesn't quite cut it. Because what do you call a mistake you did on purpose? Well, it's not a mistake. What do you call a mistake you do over and over again? We call it sin. That's what Scripture tells us. It says, you used to live in sin like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. But our very nature, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger. Just like everyone else, God was mad. We were subject to His anger. And then verse 4, it says, what are those next two words? But God. Say it together. But God. See, see, you know, in, in the uh, the Greek language, those words came there because they were the most important words of this next uh, sentence here. But God. See, see how we turn this around and say, God, I've done bad things. God, I did all this. But I will do better next time. But I won't do that again. But I will follow you more. But I will give you a few bucks. But I will do this. Oh, I did something wrong. But I. And he's saying, no, you did all these sins. But God. But God, you can't do anything. He said, but God, when when you have a problem, it's not but I, it's but God. It's like, God, I know I shouldn't, but I promise. No, he says here in verse four, but God is so rich in mercy. He's so rich in mercy. I mean, think about who's writing these words here. It's the apostle Paul. He's a Christian hunter. Right, he's somebody going around city to city looking for people that follow Jesus Christ, and he's imprisoning them and turning them over to be executed. So, so here's Paul, or here's Saul at the time. His name was later changed to Paul. Here's Saul coming through, and God's like, you know what? Watch this. We're gonna take this guy, this Christian hunter, and we're gonna flip his life upside down. And it's by His mercy and grace that Paul is now even right. He said, yeah, you think you were a Christian hunter? Before, guess what? I'm going to make you one of my main spokesmen for the Christian faith. So it's just so oh God, who is so rich in mercy that he chose Paul to write most of the New Testament, and he loved us so much. See, this answers the question. The question that asks God, why do you even care about me? God, why, why, why would you even answer my prayer? Why would you listen to my prayer? Why would you give me a second chance? Have you ever prayed for a second chance knowing that you don't deserve a second chance or maybe it's a third chance or a fourth chance or a fifth chance or a 105th chance? And we're like, I don't deserve another chance. And God, if you only, I will promise to or I will never do this again. No, 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 I see it saying the, the answer is that because he loved us So much. It has nothing to do with us. He's saying you lived in sin. It's not but I. It's but God who is so rich in mercy and he loves us so much. Verse 5. Because even though we were dead, we were separated from God because of our sin. He gave us this life when he raised Jesus from the dead. It is only by what? By By God's grace. grace that you have been saved. It's by grace that you have been saved. By his great love that you have been saved. It's not because you have something to offer him. It's not that you have something that he wants. It's not that he's saying, hey, if you do a lot of good things, I'm going to make you right with me. He's saying, no, I'm doing it because I want to, because I love you. See, God chose to save you. He chose to reconnect you with God, write this down, because he wanted to. Because He wanted to. That's the only reason why. Because He loved us so much, as it says in John 3, 16, that He gave His only Son. That whoever would believe in Him would have everlasting life. It's not because we did anything great. It's not because we're awesome. It's not because we come to church and we give a few bucks you know, to, to, to church on Sunday morning. It's not because we read our Bible and pray. It's, but God loved us so much that He gave us this eternal life through grace. Because He wanted to. Skip down a few verses to verse 8, still in Ephesians 2. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. When you believed, God saved you. We talked about that a little bit a few weeks ago about, about believe, you know, how believe God was made right. We're going to talk about beliefs and the beliefs that we have more next week and how our beliefs affect our life. But it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't do enough good to get there. It says it's, you can't take credit for this because it's a gift. Somebody gave you a gift. And you can't take credit for it. You can't take, you could try to take credit for it, but it's not a legitimate statement because you can't take credit for a gift that was given to you. Verse nine says, salvation is not a reward for the good things you've done. For any of you that have ever spent your life, that have ever grown up in church thinking, oh, I have to do this, and if I don't come to church, then I'm not right with God, and if I don't say this prayer, and if I don't do this, and if I don't do that, and oh, I did that. And if anybody's ever lived under that thought before, Listen to what it says, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. We could boast about it if we worked for it, but since we didn't work for it, we can't boast about it. See, our part is faith, write that down. Our part is faith and God's part is grace. We we put our faith and trust and belief in God... He turns around and says, my grace is enough for you. It's a gift. It's not a reward. You can't trade me for it. You can't bargain me for it. You can't barter because you don't have anything I want anyhow. God's grace is free and undeserved. It's free and undeserved. You can't pay for it. You you couldn't pay for it if you even could try to. It's not deserved. You can't work your way for it. It's free and undeserved. So what standard do you use to know if you're right with God? What standard do you use? Will we depend on our goodness or on God's grace? Will we depend on how good I am? Because if we're honest about it, we're not very good, are we? Man, we say, oh, I did some good things. But how do you know if you've done enough good? How do you know? There's no big scale. We don't know. How do I know if if that thing was worth a lot of of good points or not a lot of good points? How do I know? Am I going to depend on my goodness or on God's grace? In all religions in this world, they all tend to focus on the do, the do, do this, do this, do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And, and we start, and they start to ask this question: How do I negotiate with God? This is why why ancient uh, belief systems would often kill animals, and they would do all these things. How can I appease God? What can I trade, God? so that he won't be angry with me anymore. What can I do for God? What does God want? Maybe he wants a dead animal. No, he doesn't want a dead animal. See, being a Christian isn't about what we do, but it's about what's already been done. It's about what's already been done. Do you know why we love people? Do you know why we love people? Because look, in John uh, 1 John 4, 19, it says, We love each other because God loved us first. God loved us first. See, see, all, all, all these things are just a response back to God. Why do we love people? Because God loved us first. Why do we forgive people that took advantage of us? Why do we forgive people that, that maybe made a business deal go bad? Why do we forgive someone that's hurt me? Because God forgave me first well you know why do I serve people why does God want me to serve other people because Jesus said he came not just uh, not to be served but to be a servant because he came and served us why do we give generously to people around us why do we give because God gave his only son for us why are we kind to other people because it's God's kindness that allows us to come to him in the first place see God, made the first move. He made the first move. God did it first. Amen. And all of the to-dos that we talk about, everything says, well, you could do this and you can't do that, and you got to do this and you don't do that. And all those to-dos are simply a response to what God has already done. What God has already done, He's already loved you. He's already forgiven you. He's already done all these things. And our response to Him, see, it's not. See, this is what flips rules up on their head. We say, "Oh, I just got to do all this to impress God and to earn my way." And, no, 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 it's not about that at all. It's that God already did it for you. Now, as a response of love to Him, let's turn around and do that to others. Paul, he had a problem. He had a struggle in his life. He called it his thorn in the flesh. Um, If you can imagine what that would feel like, you know, having a thorn like kind of embedded in you all the time. That was how he he described this feeling. He had something that was going on. And and, and we don't know what it is. Uh, It could have been an addiction, it could have been a physical ailment. Maybe it could have been, been, been a, 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 someone in his family that was, you know, a problem. It could have been all the persecutions he was experiencing. It could have been any number of things. We don't know what it was. He didn't tell us what it was. And, and actually, it's probably better that he didn't tell us. Because if he did tell us, then we say, "Oh, that was his problem." But now that he didn't, we can take these, this next verse and we can apply it to any situation that we face in our life. And in Second Corinthians twelve, verse nine, is God is saying to, to, to Paul, because Paul is saying, "God, why don't you take this problem away from me? Why don't you take this struggle away from me?" Maybe you've prayed a prayer similar to that before in your life. God, why don't you take this sickness away from me? Why don't you take this sickness away from my loved one? Why? Don't Why don't you do this or that? Why why do I have this struggle? Why don't you do this or do this or that? Why why do I have this struggle? And God says to Paul, He says, My grace, my grace is what? Is sufficient. Underline that. My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect when you're at your low point. Yeah, you got to struggle, but don't worry about it because my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul goes on to say, Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so the power of Christ may rest upon me. Some of you might say, well, Judah, you don't know what I'm dealing with, though. You don't know. You know, that, that, that I have a, a loved one that that's, they haven't given long to live and, and I don't know what the outcome is going to be and, and you don't understand what it's like to have all this debt hanging over you and you don't understand what it's like to, 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 to go through you know a, a relationship that's been so important to you being ripped apart or you don't know what it's like to, to, to fail a class or you don't know what it's like or whatever and it doesn't matter because he's saying my grace is enough. My grace is enough for you. You don't have a problem that's bigger than God's grace. Because every problem that you have, God is saying, my grace is enough for you. My grace is enough for that sickness. My grace is enough to help you with those bills. My grace is enough to help you with the school. Yeah, he's not always promising that you're going to have an easy road and an easy path in life. But what he is saying is, my grace is enough. He didn't take the problem away from Paul. But he said, my grace is enough for you, even in this situation. See, we say, well, well, God, if you will, then I will. That's how religion works. Religion is a bartering system where we barter with God. But that's not a relationship with God. You say, oh, if you do this, then I'll do that. And we never give God credit for it anyhow. See, Jesus came to this earth and he died and, and, and he was brought back to life again because God wanted to save us. He wanted to make us right with God because of his great love. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's the gift of God. He's given you a gift. Will you open it? Will you receive that gift? It's because of, of Jesus' death on the cross. And then anything that I do after the fact, you say, well, well, you know, being a Christian is just all, you know, you can't have any fun after you after you follow God. Anything I do after the fact is simply response to what God has already done. For me and through me. Second Timothy 1:9, we're going to close with this verse. It says, "For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was His plan from the beginning of time to show us His grace through Christ Jesus. So you, you, you didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve this. Opportunity to be made right with God. See, all of our sins, they've separated us from God, but, but it gives Him pleasure. He wanted to make us right. And we need to respond to Him with that. And some of us, you know, that have maybe been around church for a long time, and maybe we we, we go to church and we do all these things, and, and, and it becomes again about the the, am I good enough? Am I a good enough Christian? Am I doing the right things? Are are people impressed with me? Do I pray enough? Do I read my Bible enough? Do I give enough? Do I this and that and whatever enough? Do I do this enough? And it's not about how good you are. It's about how good God is. See, that's what it's all about. I'm not saying don't do good things. We should do good things. But those good things are a response to God out of love. Let's pray. Father we come to you and we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace and we thank you that you have made your grace available to us that even though we deserve the death penalty you said I forgive you I make you innocent not guilty and I'm also going to make you my child my heir with all the rights and privileges that come along with it and we thank you for that we don't deserve it not one bit there's nothing we can do that could ever earn that, but we thank you for that. For some of you here, maybe maybe you've never fully put your faith in Christ. Maybe you've been trying to on your goodness and not on God's grace. But see, it's because of His love. He wants to, to save you from that, from that eternal trying to earn your way to God trying to please Him with the things that we do. And Scripture says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and that God raised Him from the dead, and you say this with your mouth, that you are saved. Scripture tells us that no one can say that Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit drawing them. And if that's where you are, I just, I just want you to, let's all together, just say those words together. Jesus is Lord. Let's say that together. Jesus is Lord. God, you are our Lord, and you are our King, and we serve you. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go and visit us at www.thrive.church. If you're ever in the area, we'd like to invite you to come and join us. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, we encourage you to leave a rating, review, share with your friends and family. Until next time, may you grow deeper in God's word each day.